Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph and Mitsubishi Motors. Well, six weeks of action, 37 matches, 123 tries. We're down to just the last two for the 2019 Rugby World Cup final, England versus South Africa. England saved their most impressive performance under Eddie Jones for Saturday morning when they comprehensively outplayed the All Blacks in Tokyo. They go into the weekend's final, I think, as favourites off the back of the result. But as we've seen time and time again over the last six weeks, that tag doesn't really mean much. As for the All Blacks, they still have the third-place playoff to contend with. It's not how Steve Hansen would have wanted to end his campaign this time round. And we'll speak to the former All Black, Scott Hamilton, about whether he expects Hansen to stick around once the tournament is over. Uh, one Kiwi who is leaving the tournament is Wales coach Warren Gatland. His side came out the wrong end of a three-point defeat to South Africa on Sunday morning. The former Ospreys coach and regular contributor and friend of the show, Sean Holly, will be here one final time to look back on their tournament and also on Gatland's incredible 12 years in charge of Wales. Of course, we'll be looking ahead to Saturday's final between England and the Springboks. South Africa are aiming to make history by becoming the first side to lose a game in the World Cup and still win it. The former South African international tears, Delport, will join us to look at where the game could be won and lost. But alongside me today, not exactly fresh off the plane from Japan, but he's been there a long time, is the former England Sevens captain and now top broadcaster and pundit Rob Vickerman. Hello, Rob. Hello, Brian. Good to be here. Yes, uh, Ben Kay was writing in one of the uh, broadsheets that he had had a chat with Martin Johnson and several other of the uh, 2003 winning uh, team and they all agreed that the performance on Saturday against the All Blacks eclipsed anything that they managed to do in their cup campaign. How good was it? Oh, just incredible. Um, reading your words as well in, in the Telegraph about how you thought the game went. Sir Ian McGeekin, Sir Clive Woodward, all the aristocracy of rugby really was saying it was the best ever England performance. Not me, but <laughs> those two, maybe. <laughs> well, it really was one of those games where you look back and thinking, I, I cannot remember a better game. And that's right across the board. It was it had everything you could wish for in a game of rugby. Can you remember the All Blacks not having a genuine try-scoring chance that they created, apart from the England mess up at the line-out, and not having kicks at goal, because I can't remember that ever, ever. No, I mean, it really was bizarre. And even their mindset of, say, Severus getting the ball away looked like he was going to try and line-break. He ran into touch. It just screamed of panic at times. And, and this is an all-black team that don't ever panic. They're always so timeless on the ball. They've got skill set beyond belief and yet they just couldn't find any way through and that's why you know England truly are going into this next game as favourites which is unheard of. Well you saw them under pressure and it just shows that any team no matter how good when they are rattled you know are prone to crack because the last 10 minutes of that game when New Zealand ran the ball 
sideways, backwards, spilt it, you know, flicked it to other people. Every time they got wide, bang, another hit went in. You know, they were they were felled again. What was a tremendous... I mean, you can talk, and we will talk at length, about the way in which England, you know, took the game to them. But above all, the defensive effort for the whole 80 minutes was fantastic. It really was. And that's perhaps what I felt was the most impressive thing. I was looking up to see New Zealand play live against South Africa in one of the opening games of the World Cup. And it was just remarkable how South Africa, the biggest humans I've ever seen play rugby, kept asking those questions, kept running so incredibly hard, yet the New Zealand defence really set a new level, I felt at the time. Yet New Zealand against England, it was a complete row reversal. It was England's dominance and young men making these hits who just time after time were smashing them backwards. And, And that probably shocked them a little bit because as soon as they get that front football, they click, they operate a different gear. One of those cars with about seven gears, yet alone five. Um, and suddenly they couldn't get that. And like I said, Toje, Underhill, Curry, putting those hits in and not just hits, dominant hits, yeah. flying them backwards. And the highlight reel at the end was just remarkable. It was great to see. Well, if you talk about coaching decisions and who did or didn't make the right ones, the Ford Faralaxis came off. Um, I have to put my hands up and say, you know, all along I felt that the Farrell at 10 uh, with Tualangi and whoever they want to play at 13, Slade or Joseph, was a, the better one. However, Ford has answered me and all his critics very well. His goal kicking has been absolutely extraordinary. And look, people talk about, oh yeah, uh, what about his defensive work? Well, look, Johnny Wilkinson ruined fly half defensive work because no one until he came along ever used to muller runners did they everyone you know Dan Carter it was the same as Ford you just hang on get in the way and you wait for other people and you know that's what he's been doing fair play to him Uh, and you know the variety they they got with that you look at the choice of Barrett in the back row for New Zealand and I said that was a risk. It could have gone very well. It could have been, you know, disrupted England's line out in a major way. But actually, it turned out to have a deleterious effect on the all-black line out because it wasn't as smooth as it usually is. It seeded an advantage at the breakdown, which England, for the Kamikaze twins, Curry and, <laughs> and, and Underhill, took full advantage of. And by the time came, Kane came on, it, it was almost too late. Yeah, interesting selections. I mean, you're right about Johnny Wilkinson setting you stand for fly. I probably put Butch James in there as well for people that used to try and decapitate other players. Number 10, getting yellow carded for high shots is, is pretty rare. Um, but I think, you know, Ford's control, his skill set is one of the strongest. If you look at his passing ability, it's, it just doesn't make errors. And when you have that as a 10, I think what underpins both either Ford or Farrell playing at 10 is to have Manu with them. I think the confidence that can give any fly half knowing you've got this absolute wrecking ball alongside you who's going to be aggressive in defence and attack. That was a really astute decision. I think it'd be really interesting this week going into South Africa where you saw Dan Bigger make negative hits, so he was staying very upright. A lot of traffic went down his route. You've got Adelande who's just relentless in how he comes out. I think that's going to be a really big call who starts at 10, probably for different reasons. But against New Zealand, Ford was pivotal and Barrett, he was just unseen other than tracking back to stop that potential score on the corner. The thing we've seen about Jones is he is quite prepared to make calls for a particular game, a particular opposition, and to change it within the game as to exactly what he thinks he wants and the team needs. So you can't rule out, you know, provided Farrell's fit, obviously, um, Farrell starting and, uh, you know, and Ford is a very effective, 
you know, um, change of tack whenever he, they decide. He decides that that's necessary or, or vice versa. He's quite capable of doing that. And that has set him apart. And one of the things that he's managed to achieve by look and design both, and there's nothing wrong with a bit of look because it happens you know, along the way and you've still got to pick the players, but because he played so many different combinations in the last 18 months prior to the World Cup, he's now got working parts that he can interchange almost seamlessly. Yeah, and I'm not sure he comes out with a media soundbite about it all, but he just basically calls it a role. And whatever role you have, it may well change. If you're on the bench, you're not being dropped. You've just got a different role. And I think if you get that psyche into these players, and I stressed before that they were young, this is the first real cohort of England rugby players that are all full-time rugby players from basically from 15. Mm-hmm. And if you get into that psychology of understanding that they have certain roles to play and, and get that across, then, then they're going to have this performance that is consistent. I think certainly for the last... Four or five games, it has been really consistent. Interchanged at times, as you mentioned, but still with that underlying quality. Well, Manu Tuolagi, I I know because I remember speaking to Eddie Jones when he first arrived. I was one of the first people to interview him. He's an exact contemporary mind, same age and so on. I know that he's wanted Tuolagi all along because he knows and we all know and everyone can now see what extra he brings. He just hasn't been able to have him. Um, But... How important do you think he's been? I think the it, fact that he stayed fit as well and on form. Yeah, pivotal, absolutely. I think if you look at what Manu achieved in his younger years when he was 20, 21, 22, he's just got this power that no one else in England possesses, partly because he's you know, Samoan, that helps. Genetically, he's, he's incredibly blessed. But his sheer presence frightens people. You saw him single, almost single-handedly destruct the Irish defence just on, on dummy lines, on optional runners coming short on the back of 10. And, and I think if certainly as an ex-centre, and I put against Manu, uh, embarrassing to say, missed about three tackles on him in one game alone. You think you get a good shot on him and he just powers through you. Mm-hmm. And, and that to have as an asset within the team is is great. And I think also just, you know, they call him chief. He's got that real laid back, almost childlike attitude about it, which is refreshing when you're on tour for as long as you are. He doesn't take anything too seriously as we witnessed at, at number 10 Downing Street. Um, so, and the ferry. And the, and the, well, I was going to skirt the ferry. Um, but yeah, he's certainly a character that you want in there. And you look across and you know what it's like in a rugby team, Brian. You gain massive efficacy from seeing people like that stood next to you. Well, it's interesting because I was one of five former internationals to be allowed to go down to Bristol before they left. Uh, to for a whole day, you know, uh, right up close in the training, then out in the units for dinner, then out talking to the coaches, um, making whatever suggestions we felt were appropriate for them to just consider, take on board or not. And it was interesting that Eddie Jones has been going on and on about the leadership thing. And I had a chat to him a while ago, and he was saying, uh, prompted by me, you know, it is more difficult to get these players to step up. He said, because when you had jobs and you had important jobs, well, not even just, I mean, I, I don't want to be pejorative. If you run your own business, you know, you've got to make huge decisions all day, every day. Um, and when you go straight from school into an academy, your sheet is given to you, you work hard, but it's all prescribed. You get into the first team, all prescribed, and it never stops being prescribed. In fact, it's even more so because it becomes more detailed as you, you go up, doesn't it? Mm. And you do your hard work, you, you, but you're not being asked all the time to make uh, different decisions. And it was interesting because when they did each of the drills, and it, it broke down at some point, which every drill does, um, they were called 
together, one side and the other, and they said, right, what is the one thing you take out of that? And I said, why is it one? It could be three. And they said, no, mate. He said, too much information. Don't want three, just one. And they all agree, and then they learn one. It's easier to learn one than get confused. Because if you have three, which is more important, et cetera, et cetera, who takes which one, et cetera. So it's very focused. The one thing, what is the one thing you learn from that? Don't do it again, or do it again, or do more of it, or whatever. So he is, and Carling won't speak, he won't even speak to me um, about what he's been doing on the leadership front, but there's a reason why Jones got him in, and uh, you, you know Jones as well. He doesn't have people in for no reason. Um, and I don't know exactly what they've been doing, but on the leadership front, he's been doing something. And now you see the Jamie Georges of this world stepping right up to the plate and during games, doing what they've been doing for Saracens and the clubs, you know, sorting it out as they go along, which is the ideal, isn't it? Yeah, and I think those Saracens players leading it really is quite interesting. Just to add to your point there, so I'm 34 now, but I was probably one of the first cohort to have been 15 and been on a pathway toward rugby. So everyone younger than 34 have never experienced anything other than being a rugby player. Which is all of them. Which is all of them, exactly. So that, Again, the mindset you need to have as a coach is completely different because it isn't like you go to a, a hardened international who's been around the block, who's you know worked in uh, the police force for 10 years, as it used to be. This is out-and-out out school kids who have then progressed to be academy graduates to then professional athletes. So very different conversation. I think you're exactly right. And the reason why Saracens are leading that front is because their holistic development of their players is very much go out there, learn from other experiences, learn from different clubs, different professional elements. A lot of them are entrepreneurs as well. Like Jamie George, for example, he runs his own physio clinic. So straight away, these players who have more life experience are then more comfortable making those decisions. And I think you're exactly right. Eddie Jones, he is a master tactician. When I had to try and tip two teams to make the final, couldn't look past England just because of having Eddie Jones there and his experience, certainly in World Cup specifically, but in able to get people better. And that's the one thing that everybody who's been involved with this England team will say, Eddie Jones, part manipulation perhaps, but gets people in exactly the right brain space. And that's so important for these players. Well, if England do beat South Africa, and there is you know, a big question mark about it, irrespective of the fact they're probably favourites, that have beaten all the four rugby championship sides in the space of six weeks. And therefore, when you talk about who has or hasn't earned a World Cup, then you'd, you'd have to say that would be conclusive, wouldn't it? Yeah, South Africa, more so than other team, physicality beyond belief. And again, seeing them up close, I sat next to their bench on the sideline and it was like Space Jam. They were six foot seven, six foot ten, six foot... Even Franz Stein, who was one of the only two back replacements now, he's about 17 stone. Yeah. Like, these guys are huge, but at the same time, they have that real self-confidence and belief that previously they didn't have. I mean, look, 2016, 2017, they had a 57-0 loss. They had a 38-3 loss against Ireland. They were a world away from where they are now, only conceding 11 points a game in 2019. So Erasmus, I like him. Spent a bit of time on camera and off camera speaking to him and he's very, very savvy. Well, the All Black campaign, it didn't end the way they wanted to. Very difficult, actually, to get it right three times in a row. If you think about what it takes to do that, how many incarnations you have to go through of your team, and bearing in mind the uh, huge fall-off that they had in caps and so on, uh, it was always going to be difficult for them, but I don't think they expected to go out in quite the way they did. Why don't we speak to uh, Scott Hamilton, the former All Black, about this, who's, who's joining us now. Hello, Scott. 
Hi, Brian. How are you on? I'm all right, mate. Look, Steve Hansen, he was very magnanimous post-match, saying the best team won. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, what do you... I mean, we saw... Uh, we've been discussing, I don't know how much you heard of it, an atypical performance from the All Blacks in certain respects, in that, you know, the the surety and the uh, patience and so on, it seemed to ebb and it seemed to go reasonably quickly for me. Would you, you, Is there anything to think that explains that from your point of view? Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a strange game. You know, as an, as an All Black fan, um, it's um, you know obviously we've had a loss from from time to time but you know something like that where you know we struggled to to fire a shot and and I really felt um, even at half time you know we were lucky to be within 10 at half time but even then you're you're struggling to work out um, how we're going to get back into it Um, I would have yeah personally I would have put Dane Coles I thought the another line out was struggling and, and he can sort of add a bit of value around the around the park as well. He would have been one guy I probably would have brought on at half time, but you know, I don't <laughs> we're all trying to work out how we're how we're gonna get back and win this game and um and to be honest I don't think the you know, I don't think the personnel changes necessarily would have made any difference anyway. But it was it was hard to watch, but then again it wasn't um you know, I thought losing to England couldn't be anything worse, Brian, but <laughs> but um the way it was done, you know, you just you've got no complaints and, and to be honest they played a really good you know, really good uh, style of rugby, and then when you when you watch the the sort of the the the, the dross, I suppose you could say it was served up on Sunday morning. It just made it, you know, it was just, I, I, yeah, I was totally accepting. A lot of Kiwis are just totally accepting of of what's gone on. There's no no complaints, and that's just how it is. We're beaten clearly on the day. Well, if anything, you know, the New Zealand rugby public they do know their rugby and you know, when it comes down to it they're willing to be honest what, what, do you, is there anything you think New Zealand could have done differently that would have made a marked difference it, um, it's, it's an interesting one I think a few few guys probably that had been going well that are pretty inexperienced like Moanga and Sever Reese and, and guys like that you know probably needed a bit more time in the saddle don't get me wrong they, they played really well and they, I think they warranted their selection I'm not saying not picking them was the right thing to do but you know if you look at the England guys and any any, any of the young guys that they brought through have had probably a lot more experience under the belt in that, in that team as well um, but you know it's it's about I suppose it's in closing England the time to be a run to perfection I would suggest and I mean obviously it's only one game if they, if they fall over against South Africa it's probably um, you know we're going to be having a different conversation then but you know I would assume they go ahead and, and win this on on the weekend and you know you'd like to think that they you know as an English fan you'd like to think that they'd probably got a bit of, bit of something to, to build on for the next three or four years and, and be number one in the world over that time. Well, you mentioned this Friday, Scott. It's Rob Vickerman here speaking. Just asking you about the Steve Hansen effect, his potential success. A lot of people shouting about Razor Robinson. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of names going out. I've read sort of the local press that, you know, that result wouldn't have done uh, Ian Foster uh, much good either. But I'm assuming they would have made their decision certainly have a very strong indication of, of what's going on. Um, it's very difficult. Everyone seems to be playing their cards very close to their chest and who's actually is sort of uh, going for it in, in terms of the, the guys that are overseas as well. But, um, it's, yeah, I, I wouldn't know. I mean, I think I think we'll 
that'll start to heat up once, you know, we've got to obviously got to play the, the Welsh on Friday and, and get that done. And then there'll be a few farewells, I suppose, for the likes of Steve and Kieran Reid and people like that. But that's when the, um, you know, it's, it's a bit different, definitely a different feeling. You know, I've, I've sat through all the, uh, the World Cup, World Cup exits, which have been a lot more painful than the, than this one, certainly in terms of, you know, this is, this is you know, we, we've tried to front up, beaten by a better team, but the other ones were, were certainly a lot lot more frustrating to, to get, get through. Yeah, well, I mean, they were self-inflicted, a lot of the other ones, weren't they? Yeah. Look, you've got the bronze medal. I, I had to play in a third and fourth place play. I hated it. And we lost to the French, which made it even worse. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, how do you expect the players to... To be feeling ahead of that, you know, knowing the New Zealand psyche, don't lose very often. Um, but it is a game which no one wants to play in. So, how do you see that panning out? Yeah, I mean, everyone always says that, but I suppose you just got to look at it. At the end of the day, it's a test match and you're representing your country. So, whilst you don't want to be there, and I'm sure there'll be guys that. You know, haven't had a lot of game time. They, you know, I, I very much doubt they'll be going with their what would be their strongest team. They'll be giving guys a run that that haven't had a run as well. Um, and I'm sure the Welsh will do the same. Um, you know, you're pulling on the black jersey. I'm sure that's what you've you've got to. Um, uh, you know, you've got to just get through to the players and and make sure that the. You know, at the end of the day, you're representing your country, and you've got to put on a on a on a show. And you know, the country's still going to be watching. Whilst um, you know, no one wants to be in that. It's still a game of rugby, and people like to to watch it. So certainly, there's still going to be, you know, a fair bit of interest. And I wouldn't, yeah, certainly, um, you know, losing back to back and losing to the Welsh certainly wouldn't be something that would we want to be doing. But I, I think. Yeah, if you're looking at both squads, I think you know we've certainly got more depth than the Welsh, and if, if that's sort of where the selection ends up going, I, I'd you know I'd be pretty um, disappointed, pretty gutted if we can't get a win on Friday. Uh, and actually, uh, playing several of the uh, fringe players is probably the right thing to do because when I look back, a lot of the players who played you know in the starting squads were they were shattered, they were shattered physically, they were shattered mentally, I mean, we'd been run over by Jonah Loma in the semi-final as well, and um, you know, it, it would have been better for people who were hungry, and who wanted to play it, to go out and, and give them that opportunity and I, and I think you're probably right about that just, just, just finally, just go back to the coaching uh, aspect that what was to come, can you see any way in which um, New Zealand, uh, the, not that they won't have a, uh, you know, a, a Kiwi but from without the system domestically, someone from abroad, can you actually see them doing that? Because they've not been uh, they've not been willing to do that before. No, well, I mean, obviously, a lot of guys have been. Um, I'm, I'm, when I'm meaning abroad, I was meaning more New Zealand guys that are abroad. But I mean, obviously, so um, Schmidt's finishing up with Ireland as well. So I mean, I, again, I think I think he said a while ago that he wasn't in in you know looking at it. But I, I would say that. Um, everyone will be uh, certainly having a word with you know the guys of uh, I know um, Gatlin for example with the Lions so he's not going to be involved but he's looking to come back to New Zealand as well and coach Waikato and, and guys like that but I mean Ian Foster's obviously probably was the front runner I would have thought but um, him being a part of this campaign and, and probably when you look at the All Blacks performances over the last um, couple of years I suppose they you know, people have been talking about the the wobbles for a while, and whilst the this campaign was was pretty strong up until England, um, obviously having a loss like that's not not good for your um, CV. But uh, yeah, I, 
I, you know, I've never been coached by Razor, but I've only ever heard good things about him. He certainly, I think he's someone that would potentially bring another level, something, something a bit different. Um, obviously, this this coaching, you know, Steve Hansen was a part of Graham Henry, and he's been around for a while. And then it it, it depends what you, you know, if, do you want to just keep handing over the torch, or do you want to bring someone that hasn't been involved in that environment and allow them to bring in new ideas? So. That's sort of the you know whoever's making the whoever's getting the big bucks and making those decisions. That's probably what what they need to work out what they want to do first. Well, so lastly, Scott, bearing in mind you probably don't like South Africa or England too much. Who do you fancy for this Saturday? Well, it could be worse. It could be Australia, I say. Yeah. <laughs> well, since I've since I've been up here, uh, Rob, I've always uh, supported the Southern Hemisphere teams over the Northern Hemisphere. So my uh, I would like to see um, I'd like to see South Africa do it for for that reason. But I yeah, if I'm uh, I, I having seen again, I just think that the England the England attack um is is so strong. They give themselves so many options to score. Um, you know, and they should have scored more against the All Blacks as well. So um if but having said that, I still think that South Africa are physically a very good match for England. You know, they their big their big pack and big ball runners are certainly going to, to match that sort of things with England. So if South Africa can hang in there, obviously they've got the goal kicker that can, you know, kick him from everywhere and they've got a little bit of um uh bit of start up, I suppose, in the backs um to match with the grunt. So I yeah, I've always thought that it'll be it'll be a tough one. I don't think I mean I think a lot of people have potentially thought and you've got to realise too that um um you know both uh, both sides have had um fairly you know, fairly big games going into it. And I would suggest also that the six-day turnaround is obviously not great for South Africa. I'm not sure how that could be avoided, but it's a bit, it's a bit, um, it's a bit rough, I would have thought, going into a World Cup final, having a, what we always class the short turnaround of, of six days instead of seven. I'm not sure if they could have been brought forward or the final pushback to a Sunday, so then it could have given them seven and, you know, England eight, which meant a, a bit fairer. But, I mean, that's just that's just how it is, I suppose. But, you know, my head's certainly saying England, but I, I would like to at least be close, and I can see it being close. Obviously, it'll be a fairly nervy affair, I think, t- to start with, but I'd be pretty surprised if England didn't cross the line. Scott, I know the, not the circumstances you want to be talking to us in, but thank you very much once again. Cool. No worries. Thank you. Hello there, Telegraph podcast listener. My name is Tom Gibbs and I'm the host of our Audio Football Club podcast. If your desire for top football chat isn't sated, then may I please recommend the Telegraph's very own podcast about that subject. Audio Football Club comes out every single Monday and it features some of the best and brightest football minds in the country, taking in all the biggest stories from the Premier League and around Europe. Search for Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link in the description of this episode. Good things will happen to you if you do so. Well, the hacker. Uh, England could face a fine similar to France had in 2011. They were fined the huge sum of £2,500 because the uh, cultural whatever protocol of World Rugby State's opponent must not cross the halfway line, but the two tips of England's V formation, six players, Joe Marler, Billy Vinopole and Mark uh, Wilson, Elliot Daly, Luke Cowan, Dickie Ben Young's all appeared to be standing in the All Blacks half. This is bloody nonsense, isn't it? Well, for a man that probably would front up to the mo- more so the most. Usually always the front rowers though, isn't it? Like, you, you saw Cockrell as well back in the day <laughs> where he used to square off. But... <laughs> 
It's interesting, isn't it? I think the final is going to be uh, headed by Joe Marler because he was technically the furthest in the New Zealand half, so yeah. the players are saying. But I didn't realise the history behind it all until I think it was three years ago, the Under-20s World Championship, France against New Zealand. And the, the, the technical protocol is you have to accept the challenge by walking backwards. And the French stayed completely still. Cue three and a half minutes of dead air. Well, why, the thing air. is, why should that be? Why, why, should, why should you have to do that? I don't know. I, I'm one of those people. I like it in terms of rugby. I think it, so do it, I. it broadens the game. What but, I didn't like was South Africa in that first game in the World Cup. All their fans started singing Ole, Ole, Ole over the top of it. Either, either respect it or we, we bin it, don't we? But well, I look, we so, look I, I just feel if you're going to be allowed to do it, the, the other team can do what they want, you know, within reason, you know, barring physical contact. You know, it, 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 there's no doubt that uh, as opposed to from the other island sides who all have similar uh, things. You know, the Zealand one is so choreographed now. They even, you know, the, it's not even the traditional one that used to be done all the time. So, and they change them. Um, I just, I, I fail to see. And the other thing is this. Why does it have to be done last? Why can't it be done before the anthems? Yeah. What would be disrespectful about that? Well, I mean, my world, Sevens used to do it after they won a tournament, so sadly I saw a fair few of them. Yeah. Um, but I think, I don't know, in terms of the wider rugby public, it's one of those things, and been in America quite a bit with the rugby, they have got no idea about the sport, but they all know about the hacker. No, so I, have, a, I don't say get rid of it. Yeah. But why does it have to be the last thing and you can't do anything here? Why, why are you on the prescribed end of this, can't stand there, can't do this, got to walk backwards? What are, you know, <laughs> we should be allowed to do what you want if you don't want to face it. You shouldn't matter. You know, there, there are, there are, there are, there are uh, rules have been brought in to dictate exactly what you have to do. You know, and, and well, when they're at home... Absolutely fine. Part of their culture. They seem to forget that actually when they're away, it's a matter of courtesy that they're allowed to do it. Now, it's always given, but it's now, we've now got to a stage where not only do you have to allow it, you have to allow it last, can't do anything after it, can't stand in the half, have to walk backwards. Nonsense. Well, I wonder if it's maybe broadcasting, actually, because if you think about where the cameras in our place, there's basically eight camera people and microphones in amongst the middle of it, and then 10 metres further about the players' lineup. Well, there's nothing the better than the face to face, just because of the space, the kind of visual, the spider cam coming in. What I think would be great if we went back to. I tell you what, they had to bin the spider cam, <laughs> making me feel sick. In open <laughs> don't play, you don't need it in open play. You look like the old uh, Madden cam. Oh, well, <laughs> oh dear. Um, anyway, let's move on. Before we talk about Wales very quickly, Willie Hines, his tournament's over. Hamstring injury on Saturday. Ben Spencer flying over, like to take a spot on the bench. Probably likely to play at some point. I mean, Spencer was in camp throughout before, so he will know the moves and so on. A lot of people, including me, expected him to go. Um, Jones has been largely proved right. Let's hope he doesn't go wrong um, because of this, with having just two scrum halves, um, he took the take. He took the gamble. Up till now, it's paid off. Um, any particular problems with that? Do you think? Well, in terms of the jet lag, yeah, a bit of an issue. I'm sure he'll be playing in the right. The, be on the right part of the plane where he's flying. But still, you got to think. You know, you're going to be getting in there pretty rope. A usual jet lag protocol is you're not allowed to train within 48 hours of landing. But he'll be straight into it. So difficult from that point of view I think he's obviously fit because he's had his pre-season with, with Saracens but yeah a bit of a tough ask I don't particularly think he'll be featuring much 
in in the uh, in the final game there, but certainly great for him. Uh, and he's definitely a different type of player to Willie Hines, and, and equally as exciting in terms of going forward. I think Danny Kerr might be a bit of it'd be a bit of a bad place thinking about it could have been him if he stayed fit and perhaps got selected. But you know, I think Ben Spencer's a great opportunity to him, and, and it's a nice story, isn't it? Along with the the Andy Gummersall type story with Austin Healy as well, I'm sure. Well, Wales uh, won their quarter final by fine margins, and they lost the semi final in a similar fashion. To help us unpick that and to look back at Warren Gatlin's uh, reign, which has taken Wales to to great heights, albeit not exactly the way he wanted to end, why don't we speak to Sean Holly, the former Ospreys head coach, who is kind enough to come on here often and he's always worth talking to. Hello, Sean. Hiya, Bray. Thanks very much. That's all right. Uh, Any complaints about this? Anything you think... Um, went against you or just had been beaten on the day? Yeah, I don't think we can have any complaints. Uh, we're all very proud of the Welsh boys down here in Wales, Brian. Um, you know, they did it the hard way. They were battered through the pool stages and um, it, it, to be honest, didn't play a lot of attractive rugby, but very tough to beat and that's been a, a bit of a signature of Warren Gatland teams. We could have done it in the end, you know, um, hung in the game against a very physical spring box, but probably uh, in the end, the lack of experience and depth on the bench probably took its toll and South Africa were worthy for their win. I think had we gone through, it would have been a little bit of luck towards the end of the game and uh, let's be honest, we would have been totally back to going into that final next week. Um, I, I posed a question on on social media. It was a it was a moot point, just questioning whether um, Wales could have played a different way, and not got sucked into the arm wrestle with the Springboks, which I felt was never going to be a way that you would beat a side who are you know the most physical side in the world, bar none. But the point that actually came back from uh, several people, which I, I think had a lot of validity, was. Yeah, we we probably could and maybe should have done that. But when you looked at the options available to us with injuries to Anscombe before the tournament, Williams before the game and so on, uh, North, etc. When you look at what the creative options were, they were so uh, denuded when it came to it that actually it would have been very difficult to do that anyway. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. Um, You look at our midfield. Hadley Parks is completely bruised and about playing with a broken hand. Jonathan Davis clearly wasn't 100% fit. And there's probably been question marks over whether George North is 100% fit and he pulled up during the game as well, losing Liam Williams as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably a valid point. Having said that, in the early exchanges, we did manage to get in the wide channels and get the ball into the hands of Josh Adams and George North. And we had a bit of purchase in that area, but you know, certainly in and around the ruck and around the midfield, there were minimal yards made by the Welsh players. And I think they probably felt they, their best chance was to hang in there and, 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 and try and get a possession type of game, win some penalties, because both Dan Bigger and Lee Harp, and he kicked superbly for the post. And, you know, had there been one error in that passage of play, which eventually turned out in uh, Francois Lowe turning the ball over to give South Africa the field position to, to get the deal and they try. It could have been a different story, but you know, I think overall uh, it, it probably was deserved by the Springboks. And, you know, they, they'll probably be in a lot better physical shape to contending the next week. 
Ashford, it's Rob here. Just a question regarding the attractiveness of the game. Clearly, it was brutal and how the game was played. But a big point was the 9-16 state of play down against the big South Africans. And the 64th minute wasn't a scrum option in front of the post. Possibly the most creative element of the game. But did you feel them scoring from that almost questioned why they'd spent the previous 64 minutes just trying to batter them when that little bit of expansive play got that opportunity and tried for them? Yeah, it was a brave call too because the scrum was under the pump, Rob. And, uh, you know, Ross Moriarty had to do some digging work at the back and get it out very quickly. Um, and in Wales, as you well know, we do have a lot of creativity, creative players. So it's been a little bit of an enigma here in Wales. And always the question is asked whether we can score more tries. You look at the recent Six Nations, we win a Grand Slam, not scoring that many tries and really not playing that attractive amount of football. So... Um, it's been a bit of a Warren Gatlin way. Sean Edwards' defence has been fantastic. We've inherited a lot of great kickers in the in the tenure of, of both those coaches. But I think now what we'll see, Rob, is perhaps the development of play under wing Peabach and Stephen Jones to release the players a little bit more. There's no doubt we have the players there. It's just been a little bit of a reluctance to to expose them a little bit. When we have had the ball in turnover and kick receipt, you've seen the likes of Liam Williams, Josh Adams come to life and we have it in us. It was just frustrating that we weren't able to capitalise on it in the semi-final and, uh, and it, it became a bit of a war of attrition. Well, you mentioned uh, Wayne Pivak, which has taken the care of uh, one question I had, but Alan Wynne-Jones uh, equaled uh, Sergio Parisi's Record of 142 test caps, the most for a Northern Hemisphere player. Um, what do you expect with him post-tournament? What, what are his options? Where do you think he'll end up? But you know what, Brian? I think he'll go on as long as he can. I was with him for, for a weekend before the World Cup in a social sense, and he just fit as a fiddle. He's doing a split. He's putting his leg over a bit behind his head. He's... <laughs> He's amazing in terms of his durability. You look at the shift he put in yesterday. Every game, he, he absolutely empties the tank. And uh, he was always like it. When we had him as a 17, 18-year-old, he was bouncing around like Bambi in training. And uh, from other boys tell me, he's like it now. So he's a pretty insatiable character. He still has the appetite. If he can stay fit, touch wood, I think he'll go on as long as he can. I think he's, he's an admitted he wants to stay in Wales with his family and with his region, his country, he loves playing for Wales. And I think his, his initial target is to make that Lions tour. And if he keeps going on the way he's going, right, who's to say he could not only go on the tour, but maybe captain the tour? Because Absolutely. one thing's for sure, he'll, he'll really do that shirt a, a lot of distinction. Well, I suppose there's a question maybe about what you're doing socially where he's end up doing the splits, but we'll, we'll swerve <laughs> that one and just think about this last game. Bronze medal to play for against the All Blacks. How are you feeling about that one? Uh, I, I, I wish we didn't have to play it, Rob, if I'm honest. I think it's a bridge too far in terms of the mental state of the guys. Yes, they'll want to put it all out there for Warren Gatlin. And, of course, we haven't beaten the All Blacks since 1953, so it would create history and equal Wales' best finish in a World Cup. But, you know, you look at our squad, it's depleted. I'd, I'd be surprised if we didn't put some of the fresh legs in uh, for this game. Uh, and give it a bit of a go. But um, the All Blacks are smart in that their loss is a public humiliation for them. And they don't want to be the All Blacks who have lost for the first time against Wales in 66 years. So all the odds are stacked against us. Yeah, and um, it's, it's a very difficult uh, psychological test. Uh, and, yeah, I was saying earlier on, I've been through one. They're not ones you want to, to be there, no matter how much you convince yourself otherwise. Sean, um, pity we're not uh, prefacing a final uh, with Wales in it. But can I just... 
Thank you very much for your contributions before then, but throughout this World Cup, you've been absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, mate. You're a good guy. Thanks Thank you, mate. Rob. Ta-ra. Full Contact, in association with Mitsubishi Motors. Everyone's ambitions are different. You can climb to the top, or you could take on uphill battles of a different kind. You can explore for hundreds of miles, or you could begin a bigger journey. You can make time fly, or you could make it stand still. The Mitsubishi SUV range. Drive your ambition. Well, we're going into a final. England, South Africa. Now, I wrote uh, about the South Africa-Wales game. I didn't think Wales would be wise to get involved in an arm wrestle. I'm certain England, even though they are probably one of the few teams who can just about match the Springboks physically, to, to do that, I mean, they've got to obviously match them in the collisions and so on, but to get drawn into a one-out game, for me, would be very unwise. I'm pretty sure they won't do it, given the options they've got. Um, but you've been up close and you've seen, you've seen the, the, the Springboks. Can they do what they couldn't do against New Zealand? They, they couldn't overpower New Zealand in the end. You know, they had so much ball in the first half and they went in 17-3 down. What might make it different this time, if, if, if anything? It's just a really interesting point because I'd say no one can match South Africa's power, but what New Zealand did very well in, that I believe England will have to, is contain that power. And you're right exactly about the half-time lead. It was six minutes. They got 17 points, the All Blacks, against the Springboks. Two errors, one penalty, bang, game over. And Razio Asmus said after the game, you know, we've got to take a look at it. It wasn't a bad performance overall. We're going to have to rewrite history because we'll be the first team, if we do indeed go on to win this, to have lost the game. So they still had that unyielding belief about their way. The, the one that was probably more, probably start awareness about their style of play was against Italy. And again, sideline for that one, you could see like five on one overlaps on the right hand side. South Africa could have walked in out wide, but they chose not to. It was just pick and go, pick and go, pick and go. The first game where they went a 6-2 split on the bench and really kind of nailed their colours to the mass saying we're going to beat teams up. I just think you're exactly right. It's about containing that physicality and moving them around. Yes, they're big, but they're not as fit as England. And that is going to be a big factor come Saturday. Well, why don't we get a South African point of view? Always a pleasure to speak to our next guest, a regular contributor and co-host to the podcast. Tinas Delport is here. Hello, Tinas. Goedemiddag, Brian. Yeah, Grant. Um, now, when you look at people like Dilendi, uh, Steph de Toit, who on their own were wrecking the Welsh breakdown, just one player you attracting three or four Welsh players to, to actually get them off the ball. And even if they didn't turn the ball over, making it so slow as to be almost unusable, do you think there's any reason to suspect the or um, the uh, the Springboks will will approach the England game in a different way. No, I don't think they will massively change the way they're going to go out and play. They they might make you know small little tweaks, but I think as a whole, we've seen the blueprint of how South Africa wants to win the World Cup. It is about squeezing the opposition in terms of not allowing them space to operate in, try and put pressure on them. 
um, through, a, through a kicking game. But as you mentioned there, it is about trying to slow that quality possession down. And, you know, the strength across South Africa is that in various positions, they have, have got players that are very strong on, over the ball. You know, you, we haven't even mentioned a guy like Steve, Stephen Kitzhoff, Malcolm Marks, you know, Francois Lowe. Um, even the big boys, um, you know, Sneeman, these guys, when they come off the bench, they are all now sort of looking at that breakdown and try and slow down any possible ball. Uh, Fafti Clerk, um, we have seen him up close in domestic rugby in England. He's established himself as not one, not just one of the best nines in the game, possibly one of the best players. Um, what makes him so important uh, as to how the Springboks uh, function? Well, I think it, it's sort of on, on real two sides. You know, he's a very, very energetic, dynamic player, um, but they utilize him very effectively on the defense. You know, South Africa employs a very strong, aggressive defensive pattern um, and Faf de Klerk gets given free reign to make calls in that defensive pattern to to put even more pressure on. Sometimes you see him just shoot out of the line, really chasing um, a, a receiver down and trying to put them under pressure. Secondly, the key bit is, and, and this is probably not where it's real, a real speciality of his game, is, um, is the, are those uh, box kicks um, that he puts up from the base of base of the rucks and, and trying to get that territorial gain, trying um, to put pressure on the receiver. And I think that's probably, as I said, not quite in a speciality of his game because he likes to roam. He likes to take opportunities. He's, he's fast, he's dynamic. And a lot of them is now being asked to be an accurate kicker of the ball. And, you know, it's not always as accurate as it should be. And the threat of England's back three clearly going to be in the back of his mind. He'll know them better than anyone else in the South African outfit. How much pressure will be on Faf? No, Rob, I think there's you know, certainly a lot will be on him. You've, you've seen how, how much of the responsibility he takes in terms of dictating where they play on the field. You know, there is a combination with Pollard um, where they make that decision, Billy Leroux potentially when he comes back on. But... Any way we're kicking um, against that dangerous England back three will be, you know, will be um, capitalised on. And and we saw against New Zealand when that English machine starts rolling, when they start getting uh, go forward momentum, quick ball, it is very difficult to stop. For for me, the way England need to to approach it is because they've got the number of ball carriers they have. And you've got players like Marco Vanapola and uh, Carl Sinclair as props, able to take the ball forward on the Bosch, but also able to do that deep ball, you know, ship in and out. For me, the key for England's game is to vary the contact points so that South Africa don't get big one-on-one hits, which are very good. And the supporting players who would potentially, you know, wreck the ball or see, slow it down, are having to go backwards to come back in the gate rather than be able to go onto, you know, a dominant or a, a block tackle on the gain line. Because if England get that right, then it makes the job of, of, of players who are so very good at uh, that, you know, Steph Detroit and others, uh, a lot more difficult. No, certainly. Um, you know, it, it is about trying to stop that momentum going forward. You know, if you if you go a little bit wider, you do risk the, the you know, run the risk of being isolated um, in the tackle and then a guy like Dwayne Vermeulen, Francois Lowe, Kulisi, 
Peter Steff to Tway um, you know, sort of looking at that turnover, which we saw um, in, in Sunday semi-final, a couple of crucial turnovers being made uh, because players get isolated. But if you can get away from that congested area around the ruck, which is stacked by big, beefy South Africans, um, you are going to get um, some purchase out wide, I think, especially I think anything away from 12, you know, when you get into that 13 channel, um, you can exploit potentially the hard press by the South African wingers um, and get some real gain line momentum on the back of that. Yeah, you don't want to run into Dale Ender though, do you? He's exactly the same. He did exactly the same on three or four occasions, just blasted people on his own. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he has um, actually really stepped up his performance um, in the Rugby World Cup. Um, I think there's there's been a couple of question marks over his form over the last season or two, but certainly uh, both on the carry and on the defence, he's, he's really stepped up in this Rugby World Cup and, you know, he can keep that intensity level um, up there, whether he attacks or whether he defends. And, you know, what a marvellous individual try he scored over the weekend. And, and that was purely him taking on the, on the defenders and, and scoring that try. So he does, he does bring a lot. Similar to Manu Tuilagi, though, you know, it's, it's going to be a fantastic clash there whether England go with Ford, Farrell, Tuilagi, or do they change that around. But certainly in that midfield, it's going to be a, a big clash. Well, certainly England, one of the teams that can try and contain that physicality, as we mentioned. And, and interesting, speaking to Sia Kalise often throughout the tournament, he'd always be very, very prominent about him talking about the coach's plan. We stick to the coach's plan. It didn't go right to the coach's plan. But what do you do? if you're Razi Rasmus, and plan A doesn't necessarily work? Well, Rob, I think um, it's probably a little bit too late now to try and introduce a plan B um, in, the, in the final week of preparation, six days before, before that, um, that final. I think you just got to stick and believe and trust that your plan A will be working. Um, I think that's probably always where South Africa has come short is when plan A is stopped, then, you know, there isn't really a formed and decided upon plan B. And I think that will always be the risk for, you know, for South Africa when they do get in, when that physicality is stopped, what will what they will do. I don't think we possess necessarily the same um, handling skills um, like New Zealand and what England have shown. So to suddenly change it from the way they're playing at the moment into a um, more ball-in-hand approach, sp- uh, spreading the uh, ball wider, I think there'll be a lot more risks associated to it. We saw earlier on in the, in the, in the campaign um, a lot of individual mistakes, handling errors, you know, dropping the ball in contact. That could be attributed to the, the, um, you know, the wet conditions with, with the humidity, but there's been a lot of individual errors. Hence, I'm trying, that's why they, they try and cut down um, any risk and play a ro- low-risk rugby and force mistakes from the opposition through um, pressurised defence. Just finally, however the game goes, uh, even if it didn't go right, and I'm not making a judgment one way or another, given where the Springboks were 18 months ago, um, Razi Erasmus, will he will this be seen as a successful tournament for him? No, certainly. If you if you think when he took over, you know, two less than just under two years ago, uh, the state South African rugby was just to think at that stage that South Africa will make a rugby world cup final um, was very far from any anyone's thought. So 
in that sense, it has been successful. However, you know, being being a South African and and knowing how it works, nothing less than a than a, a final a, a champions win, um, a rugby world cup champions win is expected. Although, you know, looking back at that progress this team has done, the growth they've shown, um, you know, the fact that they've brought back a little bit of that Springbok culture, um, you know, that that is fantastic to see as a supporter. I know what your heart says. What does your head say for the final? <laughs> Brian, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll state it like this. If, if England can reproduce that form that they showed on Saturday, it's going to be hard to stop um, England um, keeping their hands off the World Cup trophy. That, for me, is going to be the challenge for England. Can they raise those levels again after last week's match against the final, uh, a, a match against New Zealand? It is not the All Blacks that they are facing. It's a different opposition. You know, it's, it's probably a lesser opposition, you can argue, than, than the challenge the All Blacks have given um, every team over the last four, five, ten years. So, for me, that is the challenge. Can they raise it? If not, I can see South Africa winning the Rugby World Cup final again. There you go. Can I thank you, as indeed all our guests, for your uh, great contributions, not only uh, over this World Cup, but, but otherwise as well. It'll be, be interesting to talk to you after we've seen what's played out. Cheers, Dennis. Cheers, guys. Enjoy the weekend. Rob, you've spent quite a bit of time out in Japan. What has been what have been the biggest impressions you'll 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 you've been left with? I think when you look at the actual tournament and when it got announced, it was always seen as potentially a bit of a risk for World Rugby to say, OK, we're going to back Asian rugby, we're going to throw ourselves into it. Clearly a lot we made of the contingency planning for the typhoon, of which, you know, the the grave scale of it wasn't known until the end of it. But for me, it's just been an incredible success. I mean, for people that have gone there as rugby tourists, you couldn't get a better spot. The diversity of the place, the politeness, the people, the efficiency, everything about it was great. And I think it is commendable that we've seen a real successful tournament not in a rugby heartland. And that and that's really something to encourage. Well, you were in the stadium for Japan's win over Ireland. Can you describe what it felt like? Yeah, I was I was really trying to milk the storyline about it because clearly I was looking enough to be in Brighton and saw the effect after that game. Yeah, oh. I was covering that one. And you saw like everyone crying. It was a really emotional state. The guard of honour from all the Japanese fans, uh, South African fans, sorry, escorting all the Japanese fans out. And, and that was a real watershed moment and I thought post Japan Island there wasn't as much shock and we're trying to call it like the shock of Shizoku we're trying to really get that going but it wasn't it was not complacency but it was expected and Jamie Joseph speaking afterwards said you know they've had one week to prepare for this we've been playing for three years well same with Scotland it wasn't a shock to me that they beat Scotland yeah and I think that's really probably a message of where they've got to in terms of their power I just hope that it's sustained and that's the question that that's the point have, I was yeah. going to come on to can they capitalise on this? Because they've certainly got the commercial and economic power. Yeah, they can. And Tim, what, probably a 45, 50-minute queues to buy a rugby shirt would dictate they've got the commercial power for it all. You know, 48% of their public were watching the games. Um, so massive, massive commercial backing. The problem is where? Where's the outlet? It's not like they can just slide into a rugby championship or Six Nations because logistically well, it's they've an been, Well, they've been, they've been... It's been touted that they might be included in the rugby championship, not least because it's broke and it needs money. 
Yeah, and they'll certainly provide that. The thing is, I mean, what, 17 hours to get to South Africa from Japan and the time zones would make a massive difference mm. as well. So I think that's what I mean logistically. Yeah. It has to be probably more of a short-form tournament based in Japan or something like that. They've got the time zones of Australia and New Zealand, not a problem. But further afield, South Africa and Argentina, it would be an absolute, you know, real, real problem to get to get that happen. But I really do hope it, it's sustained because the one thing that overall I would take from it, what wonderful, wonderful people. And that's a real real passion that people have come away saying they just love the country, they love what they're about. Well, we'll see whether the uh, Cozy Club that run the Six Nations and the Rugby Championship actually do want the game to spread worldwide or whether they just want to get richer. Um, from a world rugby perspective, uh, what, if anything, do you think you would like them to do differently for the next tournament, which is in France, for your time? Well, to go back to logistics, if they could get the network as, as good as that, that would be handy. I, I do have to laugh with the irony of being on the Shenzhenkan, the, the bullet train in Japan, and then three days later trying to get the Transpanine Express across the north of England, which was cancelled <laughs> about four times in eight-hour commute. So TVG's pretty good, Yeah, it, Well, here we go. Yeah, the French, I think, um, the partisan nature of it will be the thing that I hope goes out the way a little bit. Because if you, you go to France and watch a French team play, there's very few better atmospheres. But if you see a neutral game in France, very different. So I do hope that either the fan base and tourists can get there to support it or like the Japanese, they embrace that there are going to be different teams playing there and get behind them. They learnt the anthems to every single yeah. side. The fans in the crowd were really backing just rugby as a spectacle. They didn't well, necessarily know what was going on. It was the on. same in the Football World Cup when I, I went over a long time ago. You know, they almost had an agreement, you, you, you have that shirt, we'll have the other shirt. Uh, almost a matter of pride. Do you want to be the town, the city... The, where there isn't a good atmosphere. No, we don't, and we won't allow that. Yeah. And it's interesting, when you see the people who do travel and who have the money to travel, because it does just take money, you know, and you see the big Argentinian support and stuff, you know, it's no longer the case where you just need it to be around the corner for certain countries to be able to go, certain supporters. Uh, and, it, and in France, it's a very accessible place, and hopefully they'll, 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 get, that bit, uh, they'll get that bit right. Let's hope so. The final. I hope, from England point of view, it plays out like the New Zealand game, in the sense that they absorb what will be a huge and ferocious physical battle, but just have a bit too much in terms of their options and so on. But it does, that does depend exactly as you said, and we talked to Tinas about this, about when England get the chances which will be limited because of the nature of the defence, the physical nature and the rush defence and the organisation of it, chances, we've got to put them away. Yeah, and I believe there will be many chances. I'm actually really confident in England doing very well. I'm, I'm saying, you know, potentially up to an 18, 20 point difference Ooh. just because the way they played against New Zealand, their ability to play with expansive style against a team that just wouldn't be able to contain their pace, I think that's going to be great. Yes, South Africa are ferocious and formidable with the ball, but if they don't have it, then that's less of a threat. So I'm really confident for England this weekend. And that's not a partisan. I like to think I'm pretty neutral. On the face of it, England have played the best rugby that I've ever witnessed. And I've seen a little bit of this World Cup where South Africa looked like they weren't at the races at times. Just a final point on that. In order to do that, when you're talking and you highlighted a very important point, keep the ball so you can do what you want with it and have the options, got to be good in contact. You know, South Africans are very strong, able to disrupt ball, dislodge ball, counter-rooking in ones, only ones and twos. I think it'd be worth, certainly early on, England maybe adding an extra man to the breakdown just to make sure that the ball is secure, just to make sure it's reasonably quick. Even if it doesn't give them 
as many men outside. I think the more important factor is to take control of that breakdown. I think you're exactly right. And that's why we go back to the versatility of this England team, that you can have a Carl Sinclair as a first receiver who's a prop. And that that frees up the more mobile back rowers to get there to secure it. So I think we're covered across the park with that. And to Alangi, you know, he's doing a Brian O'Driscoll, often the first one in, very effective clear out. So, you know, people interchanging things. All we've got time for, but by the next... Uh, podcast, we will know who the Rugby World Champions will be. And obviously, being English, we want to wish Eddie Jones and his boys all the best. Uh, in a final, it doesn't matter how it turns out, you've just got to win. And that's all that's needed. All we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph and Mitsubishi Motors. Thank you very much to my co-host, Rob Vickerman, especially for you as the inside track on just what it's been like to be out in Japan. Thank you to all our guests. I hope you enjoy the final this weekend, whether you're English or South African or neutral. Uh, I'll be back next Monday to recap it all and reflect on what's been an eventful six, seven weeks in Japan. But make sure you subscribe to the podcast in the meantime. And until then, goodbye.